Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a long-life friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of, the, of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we love you and thank you for your holy word. Thank you for what we have witnessed already this morning. Man, that you've called to the office of deacon and elder. Families come to support them, to be encouraged by what they witness. Our prayers being offered to the one who's even now living to intercede on our behalf. The word being read. The spirit, the Holy Spirit present. We ask that you would illuminate our hearts in our minds right now, Father, that we might see, we might love you more, that we might be brought to faith, that our faith might be encouraged and strengthened, that we might see something new today and walk out of here with an expectation of being transformed by that which we've seen and heard. Bless our time now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Girls, thank you for reading. Uh, George is one of our new elders, and you've honored your Heavenly Father and your Father by doing that. And this was not an easy passage. There was a lot of names in there and that were pretty difficult, and you did very, very well. This, uh, this morning, we're going to return to our study through the book of Acts, and it's fitting that we come to this first missionary send-off with Barnabas and Saul, and you witnessed what we did this morning in many ways is just a continuation of what happened there as Saul and Barnabas were set apart and sent. And so this morning, I'm going to be addressing these men particularly, but the whole body at large. It's, this is for all of us. Because we're part of the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head. And this is the way in which he has orchestrated that we as part of his church would, would operate, would move forward in fulfilling the Great Commission. And this morning, I want us to focus in on the Holy Spirit role in what we have just witnessed 
both in the laying on of hands of these men, but also in what we see in Scripture. In each case, I'm going to simply say what the Holy Spirit is doing in this passage, and then I'm going to ask for you to consider as subpoints what's the internal and the external reality of that. So the Holy Spirit we see right away in this passage is the one who calls these men. Look with me at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So it's while in the context of worship and prayer, this group of people heard the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, these men that were here this morning, I mentioned this already, felt a call. What that means is they heard the Holy Spirit. Not one of them heard an audible voice, but they heard the Holy Spirit. We talk as pastors at seminary and as we move through the process of being ordained about an internal call and an external call. And in order for any pastor to be taken under care of the presbytery, we have to stand up and give a testimony that I believe I have received an internal call that I believe the Holy Spirit has put a burden on my heart to pursue ministry in this way. We tell our testimony, and then the Presbytery usually affirms that because it's been affirmed by a group of elders already, and it's an external call, therefore affirmed. That didn't happen to me. I went to Presbytery, having worked in a church already about eight years, excited for the call to go to seminary. I stood up and gave my testimony. I spoke of my internal call, and then they voted. And I'd never seen somebody get voted down. I'd never seen somebody say, I don't think he's called. But that happened to me. That's nervous laughter. (laughs) You're wondering, how did I make it this far? Yeah, I'd driven from Oklahoma City with my pastor, Chuck Garriott, who preached at my installation service here as senior pastor. And a man from a small church in Lawton, Oklahoma, stood up and said, I don't think he articulated the appropriate call. I do not believe that that man is called to vocational ministry. You know how that felt? Well, you don't. So let me tell you. (laughs) It felt like sin was overwhelming me. Anger, self-righteousness, confusion, and I wanted to speak. And as I began to rise up, which was totally inappropriate, my friend, Chuck Garrett, just put his hand on my shoulder and set me down. And then he rose up. And oh, that was beautiful to witness. He spoke on my behalf. And the brother who spoke against me revealed very quickly, it wasn't personal. I just didn't hear him say he felt called to preach the word. And that's what he needs to say. Interesting. Well, I didn't feel called to be in a pulpit. I felt called to be a youth pastor to be a youth worker, to continue to do work with young life and youth groups and such things as that. I thought that was preaching too. But in his mind, it wasn't clear enough that I really felt the burden to preach the word. That was fixed. But I tell you that story because it's a great picture of how seriously men take this reality of an external call. It really is tested. I was affirmed. I was discouraged, but I was affirmed. And then I moved forward. Each person who is nominated in this church for the office of deacon or elder goes through a process where they have to articulate to others, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is calling me to this office. And then it is tested by a group and ultimately by our elders to affirm that call so that when men stand up on a Sunday like this, 
That is affirmed. You can have confidence as the body that these men have been tested and examined, not only to their knowledge of Scripture and the faithfulness of their life, but also to this particular call. And it's important because it's the Holy Spirit who calls. Secondly, though, it's the Holy Spirit who doesn't just call to particular ministry, but also sends. Look with me at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who carried Luke to write these words. He wanted these words included. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now that's important because Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us and on us that sends us out. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Elders and deacons in a church internal and external, are called to focus on both the internal workings of the church, the sheep that are inside the church, while also never neglecting the work that must take place outside the church. The work of evangelism, the work of missions, the work of equipping our body to hear the call for all of us to go into our neighborhoods, our places of work, our places of recreation, wherever the Lord might call us to make known the name of Jesus Christ. The work that happens inside the church of shepherding and seeing the Holy Spirit sanctify the saints is very important. But one is not more important than the other. They're both important because they're both part of God's work. There's an internal work and an external work. Then we move towards a third aspect of the Holy Spirit, which I'm simply going to call He empowers. And I want to look at verses 5 through 11. This is a very interesting time. Saul and Barnabas are moving towards Cyprus. It says in verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So first they went there, and they had John, that's John Mark, who would later leave them to assist. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now let me stop there for a minute. Bar-Jesus means son of the Savior. That's his name. And you see immediately that when these two brothers who've had their hands laid on them, the Holy Spirit has spoken, he's called them, he has sent them. As soon as they begin to move forward with that work, they encounter spiritual warfare. They encounter conflict. Verse 7, he says, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Now this basically means that he's the government governor of this area. And we're told by Luke that he is a man of intelligence, which is a very honorable adjective. And what Luke is trying to tell us is that this is a bright man. And the reason this bright man would have this magician with him is that he has grown dissatisfied with the normal material type possessions of life. He has grown dissatisfied even with the power that he has. And he has begun to search for something, knowing that there must be more to this life than what I am currently experiencing. And so he calls upon Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. And he, we see, clearly opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And now we see what Saul does. And you see in verse 9 the power that is inside Saul. But Saul, who was called Paul, and from this point on, he's going to be called Paul, except when he's referred to in narratives backwards, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's been called by the Holy Spirit. He's been sent out by the Holy Spirit. 
And now he is full of the Holy Spirit, empowered, and he speaks. And what does he say? Verse 10. He's looking intently at this magician, and he says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Does anybody ever memorize that verse? <laughs> Has everybody ever thought, that's what I want to say to somebody, maybe to Mark. Um, this is an amazing word. Paul's speaking truth because the Holy Spirit that is inside him has revealed the intentions of this man. He has made it known inside Paul that this really is a man who is the child of the devil. He really is in the way of people coming to saving faith, including the governor, who actually is interested in what I'm saying. And so Paul, full of this boldness, which is not born just out of his flesh, but out of the Holy Spirit living inside him, looks intently at him and says, you son of the devil. Then, verse 11, Paul, filled again with the Holy Spirit, says, now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. But watch what happens. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas are called. They're sent. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the word. So full of the Holy Spirit is Paul that he sees the intentions of this man he speaks intensely at him as he looks at him intently. And the whole time he's proclaiming the wonder of Jesus. And then the governor sees it. And we are told that he believed. What that means is that this internal and external work was happening in his life as well. Before Saul and Barnabas got there, before Paul said what he said to this son of the devil, there was an internal work beginning in the proconsul's life where he knew that there had to be something more. There was something that wasn't satisfying him and he was looking for an answer. What the magician brought to him wasn't enough. And now here comes these two men with John Mark, the living God inside them, and they're telling the truth and power is moving throughout them. That external word is now coming from a deep place within Paul and this man hears it. And then that which is happening inside of him, which we would call irresistible grace, causes his eyes to open, his dead heart spiritually to beat, his mind to become clear with who Jesus is. And he says, I believe. I don't believe this son of the devil. I don't believe this one who calls himself the son of the Savior. I believe in the son that you're preaching who is the Savior, this resurrected Lord. And the governor believes. And later in history, we see actually that this was true of him and of his family as well. God moved in an amazing way. So here's where I want to take us for a few minutes before we close in singing. The word astonished really strikes me. As Luke is writing this narrative of this first mission trip, 
It says the proconsul was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So brothers, those who were ordained today, those who have been ordained before, to all men and women in this church who are in Christ Jesus, what do we need most from each other? What do we need most from the leaders of this church? That we would be astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That we would be astonished by what we have seen already. So what does the word astonished mean? The word astonished means a sudden. So it's not something that's just long-lasting, that too, but it's a sudden onburst of wonder and awe. It's our eyes being opened to the first time to the good news that Jesus really loves me, that he is the one who saved me, that he took on the sin of the world that I might live forever, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose from the dead, that he's now living to intercede on my behalf. It's all those things. But over time, because of the weight of the call and the difficulty of walking this side of heaven, we can lose that wonder. We can fail to be astonished at the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need most. I was thinking about this sermon and what an incredibly difficult week this has been. Resurrection Sunday was one week ago. And what a beautiful service. Monday was hard. Tuesday was harder. Wednesday was harder still. So many things. Death. I've been back from Japan just a couple weeks. I've been a part of three memorial services and know of six others. Disease. Two people in our church with really difficult diagnosis this week and many I'm sure I didn't even hear about. Broken marriages, hard things, lots of distractions, lots of depression, lots of despair, so many things. And yet, in the midst of those, there's these moments where God gives us reason for hope, his word. And he gives us reason for hope and revealing to us that his word is not just some simple history of redemption that's finished. It is a history of redemption that's continuing to unfold. And we get to see that. Let me give you an example. I leave a very difficult morning meeting on Wednesday with somebody in real pain, and then I get a phone call that says our dear Nancy Berger is in real health trouble. Some of you knew that and some of you didn't. And so I went to see her in the hospital, and she was at death's door. There wasn't a doctor who really believed that she was going to make it through this. I'm going to be in St. Louis all this week from Monday to Thursday, and I made calls to let them know it's very likely I'm not going to be able to come. That's how certain we were that the end of her earthly life was near. I left her this morning. I went by to see her. She made an unbelievable, astonishing recovery. They would say it's truly a miracle, and it is astonishing. She's smiling. She's ornery. <laughs> she wanted to know about me and my trip to Japan more than I wanted to know about her, it seemed, which isn't true. It's 
astonishing. Don't go see her. They don't want visitors except for family, and their family's large enough that they're making enough noise already. They have been scolded that this much happiness is not supposed to come out of an ICU room. And I want to be careful here because some people have prayed similar prayers and that wasn't the answer. What's astonishing about that? Well, let me tell you. I'm astonished when I see a widow or a widower continue to profess that God is good even though their heart is broken. I am astonished when I see people gather around those who are really hurting, whether it's because of a marriage or because of a loss of job or because of an illness, of how faithful God is in bringing his people to care. It's astonishing. It's astonishing when anybody who doesn't believe suddenly professes faith in Jesus. It's astonishing when somebody says, oh, death, where is your sting? And they really mean it because they're clinging to the one who's clinging to them. It's astonishing. And yes, it is astonishing when we witness what some might call a miracle and we should celebrate. But it is also astonishing when God doesn't answer the prayer that we had prayed the way we wanted, and yet we're still able to say, you are good. Brothers on the diaconate, brothers called as elders and are on, who are on the session, you are going to experience more than you ever have that roller coaster ride of what it means to be on a sojourn between now and the moment he calls us home. Some weeks are harder than others. Some weeks really are hard. And you're going to feel like you are overwhelmed, buried. Be overwhelmed by Jesus. Because he is using this church to extend his kingdom. Wednesday, I watched out the south doors of our building as there was a huge front loader knocking over houses. It's happened. They're gone, except for the missionary house. We're leaving it a little bit longer. This campaign that you have generously supported is actually beginning to unfold. And in the summer, early summer, we will begin to break ground. And you're going to hear so many more things. And I watched. And as I watched and celebrated, I thought a lot about our church and how that is a picture of the faithfulness of God to continue to extend his kingdom. Because I left that building, that room on the second floor, went downstairs and met with a group of people who were helping us think through how we're going to launch a preschool, a, a, a daycare that will have 200 or more families attending it every day, Monday through Friday. And we're planning on that, which won't start till 2021. But even now, laying the groundwork, developing the site plan for that, and knowing that that activity is going to be happening right where that destruction is taking place. And then I paused for a minute as I watched this front loader move. And I thought, you know, that's happening also inside us, individually and as a body, that this journey is really hard. And then there was another thought, and this was the thought. Can I go out and ask that man if he would let me knock down one of those houses? <laughs> and I was serious. It reminded me of when I was in seminary, and I'll close with this. 
I'm going back to my seminary tomorrow. I'm going to preach in chapel on Tuesday. It's Covenant in St. Louis. When I was a student there, I worked on the grounds. And occasionally we got to operate heavy machinery. And so my boss, his name was Eric, asked me, do you know how to operate a bobcat? I said, I do. A skid loader, I said, I do. I did it a lot in high school and college, which was true. So he gave me the keys. I hopped in it. The ones I had always operated had four independent wheels that moved independent of one another. This one was a little different. It had the treads like a tank. I hopped in it. I honestly was feeling very, very cocky. I thrust the two handles in reverse, hit a hard forward to go right, when all of a sudden this huge machine began to rock back and forth violently, and there were three buildings right around me. I did not know what to do. So I just continued to push things and pull things as this thing went back and forth, taking huge chunks out of the ground, concrete ground in front of me. I got closer and closer to a building and I saw my boss screaming something. I couldn't hear him. Finally, I read his lips and the lips were saying the same thing over and over with great intensity. Let go, let go. But I didn't, I didn't want to. How would that solve anything? <laughs> and then I did and everything was calm and I lost my job. Brothers, you're going to be confronted with things of such a variety and such a volume and such an intensity that you don't know what to do. You're going to be tempted to grab hold of it, try to control it, try to fix it. It's bigger than you always, more powerful than you always but never bigger and never more powerful than our God. And the Holy Spirit is inside you, just as he is inside every member of this church. And the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us. And he is the one who sends us. And he is the one who empowers us. And lastly, he is the one who astonishes us. And what this congregation needs most from us and each other is to be astonished at the teaching of the Lord, that he is God. This is his church. He cannot be stopped. Father in heaven, would you please bless the rest of our time together as we close in a song that speaks of a story, the story of your history of redemption continuing to unfold in our lives, you using this body to make your, your name known. So Lord, let us be present for just a bit longer and let us sing of what it is to be known by you. We pray this all in the strong and perfect name of Jesus. Amen.